Well, today in Mastermind, we're looking at not only what motivates us, but where is the line between when we need outside structure to help us kind of move in a healthy direction, and when can it really be fixed through internal thoughts? I mean, I know I should work out, but sometimes I don't work out. I know I should forgive, and I've told myself to forgive, but I still don't want to forgive. So, John, what, what is that line between when I need outside structure to help shape my thoughts, my feelings and behaviors, and when can I do the work internally, um, and when do I need other people's help? Certainly. So, my name's John Rofflow, and I'm going to approach this from a counselor, and I've been practicing for 10 years now. And when we're in session with someone and we're talking about motivations, we're going to be talking about a few different things with my client. I'm going to be talking about outside reinforcers. So friends, family members, even rewards that you build in for yourself. Um, my favorite was uh, Parks and Recreation. They would have, um, it was a, I'm trying to remember exactly, but it was like spoil yourself day. So they would, they would go and they would do all these things. Work was dreary and just a lot to go through, right? And so then they would just splurge. And that was their motivation in that sense. So really... The short answer is always, always build in outside reinforcers if you can. Internal mindsets are important, and that's a bulk of what you're going to do with these things called automatic thoughts, is you're going to recognize and replace them. But at the same time, you can be actively building in support structures, routines even. You talk about working out. One of the things I do to try to get in shape, because I'm horrible about getting in shape, is I sign up for a run. And the reason I sign up for a run or an event is because I now have a deadline. I have to get this done by X. So I have a certain thing I have to do. And a deadline works for me. may not work for you. may sure. not work for some of the people listening today. But the point is you build in this routine into your life. And that routine becomes cemented. And you get that change from there. And the areas that I'm immature in, like I, do, I know I should work out, but I'm you know, too immature or not disciplined enough maybe, I'm going to put, like you said, that outside structure in place to say I need something else to help shape me or guide me. It's interesting the Bible has kind of perspective on that because rather than telling myself I should forgive, well, I know I should forgive and somebody can tell me I should and, you know, as they say, don't should all over yourself. There's lots of shoulds, but sometimes those shoulds don't work. So really the motivator is because someone forgave me something far greater, I'm now able to forgive. So suddenly God becomes not only the structure, He actually becomes the motivator for me to do unto others just a, a smidgen of what He's already done for me. And in that sense, I would say that's a relationship drive, a relational drive. You are driven not only because of your belief or love of God, but because you want to grow close in that relationship. The same way that if I join a club or a group of people to get better at a sport or even just an activity, or a uh, men's group, if I were to join a men's group, all of that is going to push my behavior in that direction, push my mindset in that direction. Yeah, I've seen it in parenting too, because I've seen sometimes as parents, we, we look for external obedience, mm -hmm. but we actually have not imparted into our kids' hearts the value that really mattered. Mm -hmm. And so which would you rather have? Kind of temporary obedience from the external, because you put structure in place. Well, yeah, you want that, certainly beats rebellion, mm -hmm. but... I also want something deeper. I want you to love the principle behind that so that when I'm not here, or when the structure's not here, you realize this matters. You know, I love truth or I love um, the, the reward of caring for other people or loving for other people. So I think that's one of the values too is how do we get to the place of imparting truth, not just getting external obedience. Right, and, and a lot of that will come from the meaning of that reinforcer or that relationship or that thing that you build into your life. 
that meaning and that purpose that it gives and it brings life from. Think of a, a kid the other day I had, I was working with this particular uh, adolescent and was always constantly in trouble, constantly in trouble. And finally we made a choice to do something different. And that choice to do something different didn't involve violence. So everybody's piled around him in the principal's office. Arr! How horrible is this? How awful is it? And I walk in and I say, well, did we hit anybody? No. High five. Good. We made a change. When you're looking at yourself, don't feel bad about patting yourself on the back that you made a better choice for once. You did something that wasn't awful to yourself. You didn't punish yourself. So today in Mastermind, we're going to look at how do we change those mindsets and how we process just about anything. Now, if, I don't know if you ever played the game Mastermind as a kid, but it was a very famous uh, little board game. Think of it like Wordle with colors. So if you play Wordle today, um, there is one player on this end of the game, and they've come up with a code. In this case, it's black, blue, blue, blue. And then there's another person who can't see that code who's going to try and deduce it. And they're going to try and take a combination of things and say, okay, I think white, and then maybe yellow, yellow, yellow. And if they get none of them right, they get no feedback. If they get one of them right, right color, wrong spot, they would get a black one in here. Then they'd have to keep trying to decode to find the truth. Well, in the same way, this game Mastermind is very similar to how our mind works and how we process life. See, often there's an action that occurs in our life. Sometimes it's something good. But you know, sometimes something good can happen to somebody and they can't fully enjoy it. You know folks like that? Something good happens and the very first thought they have, how they think about that good thing is, well, it probably won't last long, right? Well, it's probably not as good as it could have been. It's not really what I was hoping for. And all of a sudden, a good thing combined with a bad thought leads to bad feelings and bad reactions because our thoughts determine our feelings and determine our actions. And so we say, you know, I'm feeling fearful maybe. I'm yellow with fear. I have fearful thoughts. Those fearful thoughts, I say to myself, I wouldn't think fearfully and I wouldn't feel fearfully and I wouldn't act fearfully if I could just get rid of these bad circumstances. The real problem are the actions in my life that are causing these reactions. So if God, if life, if my wife, if my kids would change and they'd stop being so ornery, so rebellious, so unadaptable, then I would be happy. But God has this fascinating principle that often when we're trying to have him swap out bad for good, he says, no, that challenge is going to stay there. And that challenge is in the right spot and it's the right color. The real thing I'd like to help you work on changing is how you think about the circumstance. Right? Over the last month, with everything going on in the stock market, you probably had a financial advisor who said, yes, there's some bad stuff going on. Now let's talk about how we can think about that. Because you're thinking about it fearfully, you're feeling fearful about it, and you're going to be tempted to react in a certain way, right? And they start talking about your thoughts. See, the Bible says that we don't react to people and circumstances. We react to how we think about people and circumstances. And many of us have spent our life trying to control people and circumstances. You can't control people and circumstances. You can influence and nudge a little bit, but you'll quickly come to the conclusion you can't control people and circumstances. 
but you could control how you think about it. What if instead of being fearful, I chose to be cool, calm, and collected? I don't prefer this circumstance, but I know I can grow through the circumstance. That leads to I feel there might be some meaning behind this rather than this is purposeless, meaningless suffering. That leads to me reacting in a different way. Not because my circumstances changed, but because I changed my way of thinking. Well, I want to try and give you several things to think about today that might help you with your current circumstances. The way God parents us, the way we might parent others, how we react to things at work or things in business or even the way things are acting in our home. I think when, say kids for example, when kids rebel, some of us have trouble putting discipline in place or have trouble putting consequences in place because we're fearful we're going to hurt their self-image. Because our thinking is any structure or any discipline will destroy their self-image and I don't want to do that or I don't want to risk my relationship with my son or my daughter, I then feel very anxious in my parenting. And every time my kids rebel, maybe if you were a good kid who didn't rebel real well, you just can't even fathom why your kids are rebelling. Oh my goodness, what's wrong with me as a parent that I'm producing these kind of bad kids? And so all this anxiety is coming out of you, which is leading to you reacting of a place of fear and anxiety. Now, others of us are on the far end of the spectrum. If we have a kid who rebels, our reaction is the Hulk, smash. You know, we must crush them with the rules. And so we grew up, more rules, the better. And every problem you see with an employee, every problem you see in a department, every problem you see with, with a child's disobedience, the answer is, if only we had more rules. And so we feel like, oh, I just didn't discipline them enough. I didn't crush them enough. I didn't push down enough. And so my reaction is always to discipline with more rules. And again, God might say to us, hey, disobedience, that's always going to happen with human beings. But you have not got the other colors in the right spots. God has this amazing ability to say, even when you and I rebel, he stays cool, cool calm, and collected and says, yes, that's what human beings do. I'm going to infuse not the fear of consequences, but not the rules or an end to themselves. I'm going to blend together a new type of thinking and a new type of reacting that combines the need for both relationship and rules. In fact, in the book of Romans, it says almost exactly that. It says, if you want to know how to change your life and change your feelings and change your reactions, it says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've got to think differently in order to change. So how do we think differently so that we can feel differently and act differently? How do we test and see what God's good and perfect will is? God says, yes, that's what I'm trying to do. I want you to find the kind of peace that can be found even if your circumstances, even if your marriage, even if your kids, even if your workplace isn't exactly what you'd hope. That's what I'm looking for. So I want to give you a formula today of ways to think about God, ways to think about your relationship with other people. And the formula is this, R minus R equals R. Rules minus relationship leads to rebellion. It works the other way too. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion, but also relationship without rules and structure leads to rebellion. 
that there's something broken in us and we need both rules and relationship infused together to make change. My hope is that you're going to find a way to motivate yourself by understanding truth and to motivate others by understanding their tendencies toward rebellion and what we need to shape us. Let's look at the first need. The first need is that we all need rules. That's true. However, the more rules, the more rebellion. I mean, you're walking along on a sidewalk. There's a big sign that says, do not step on the grass. I wasn't even thinking about stepping on the grass. But the minute I see that sign, it awakens something in me that says, well, who says I can't step on the grass? Who made you my boss? You know what? I think I'm just going to show you I'm going to do it. Nobody even around. I'm just going to show you, right? So the more rules you have, the more rebellion. And if you've got this mindset, if I just had more rules, then all of a sudden employees would obey. All of a sudden my kids would obey. Guess what? The more rules comes with more rebellion. I love jet skiing, so I had one of those stand-up uh, jet skis, uh, 1979 little Kawasaki when I was a kid. So I was 16, 17, we'd go down to the river in Illinois, and my dad would say, hey, if you're ever down here by yourself, just know sometimes the water goes up, and it floods that forest over there, and it's very dangerous over there, so don't go to the forest. That thought had never occurred to me until that moment. All of a sudden, next time I'm there, there's a flood, and the entire forest is four foot deep in water. What did I do? I had just seen Return of the Jedi. That's what I did. And Return of the Jedi, there's these biker scouts that are weaving out and in of trees. I took my jet ski over there, and I had just enough truth to be dangerous. My dad told me that a jet ski only needs six inches of water at maximum speed. So I thought to myself as a 17-year-old, the safest thing I can do is to go full speed through the forest in the water so that I don't get hurt. So sure enough, I'm weaving in and out of these trees, and I was in Return of the Jedi, let me tell you, but I didn't even think to do it until the rule came. Now, Paul writes this letter to a group of people in Rome, and he says, here's the dilemma of the human heart. We need rules because rules uncover the truth. So had someone not come along and said, hey, coveting is a problem. If you keep giving in to coveting, it will destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy your life because you'll never be satisfied. So I needed the rule to tell me that coveting is bad. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known you shouldn't cover, covet. So we, the human heart needs structure, it needs right, it needs wrong, it needs a pathway. However, he goes on to say, however, even though the rules uncover truth, they also uncover rebellion. Look how he says it. He says, however, I found out you should not covet, but that commandment that was designed to bring life to me, that was supposed to help me do the right thing, it did the opposite. I found it brought death to me. It uncovered this inner rebel in me. For sin, taking the occasion of hearing about that commandment, deceived me. I wonder what they're holding out on. What am I missing out on? I wonder what they're trying to keep me from doing. I wonder what freedom is being inhibited by this rule. So even though the rule is good, I am a rebel, and therefore the rules, the more rules, it uncovered more and more rebellion. And this is why this is such a quandary. We need rules, but the more rules, the more rebellion. So there's three ways to motivate people through history, right? This is what governments have done. This is what HR departments have done. This is what parents have done. You can motivate people through external compliance, right? External obligation. This is the motivation level of I have to. You better or else. It's the motivation of fear. 
I obey because I have to, the fear of pain, the fear of consequence, the fear of authority. But if you only obey because you have to, when somebody tells you you have to, what happens when the outside structure's out of there? You're like, well, I don't have to anymore. Freedom! You didn't learn the why behind that principle. You didn't learn why to love the principle behind that. You only obeyed out of fear and out of the fear of maybe consequences or the person. The next level of obedience is not just external, motivated by fear, I have to, but now it's I ought to. Now, ought to is better than have to because now I've internalized it. I obey because I've seen that coveting is bad for people. It destroys people. I've seen how it doesn't make people happy. And now there's kind of an internal obligation. I see the reason behind the rule. still brings out this inner rebel in me, but I can at least see that it's not just because they said I had to. This actually is true in itself. But then there's a third level. And the third level is an internal motivation I obey because I want to. And usually that want to comes from two reasons. I trust the person who told me, and I love the principle behind the rule, the reason behind the rule. So I say, you know what? Do I believe my dad has my best interest in heart by telling me not to go over there? Mm, yeah, I guess I do. Was he, did he take the time to explain to me that maybe it's dangerous over there and if I'm the only one on the river and there's no one around and if I had an accident, oh my goodness, I'm going to wash down before anybody finds my body. Huh, this is starting to sound like wisdom, right? I start to not just because I have to, but not just because I ought to, but now I want to because of two things. One, I trust the person. And number two, I trust the principle. God is always trying to drive us toward that third level. Religion is you have to or you ought to. But infusing the two together is getting to a place of I want to because I trust the authority, loves me and cares for me, and I trust the principle behind the rule and why it's good for me. Now, if this is true, then it should lead to two types of thinking about this. When you see rebellion in yourself, when you see rebellion in an employee, <laughs> when you see a rebellion in a child, how do we think about this? I'm fearful I must be a bad parent. Uh, you know, if we could just bring the hammer down, we'd finally have some good morale around here. Or is there another way to think about this? Well, if what Paul says is true, then number one, we shouldn't be surprised when we see people rebel. I hear all the time people say, people are basically good people. I'm like, well, could you help me find some of these people? Because I, every person I meet gossips all the time, lies all the time, exaggerates all the time. And parents will often say, you know, and my kids, I've raised my kids in a good home. We're good people. We live in good neighborhoods. And so, and so suddenly a parent calls or a teacher calls and says your kid did something wrong. And you ever heard this before? Not my kid. My kid would never lie. Really? Because my kid's lying. Because they got their genes from their dad who lies and gossips and all these things, right? So we're often surprised and even crushed by our kid's rebellion. We shouldn't be surprised when people rebel. Talked to a doctor recently. He works uh, in a, a practice where he has a bunch of employees on his support team who are Christians. And he said to me, he goes, I'm just shocked that these Christian people who work for me, they just led a mutiny against me. They gossiped about me. They undermined me. They, they did everything they could to destroy me. And these are people who call themselves Christians. We're sitting at lunch. I said, well, perhaps you need to go back to a doctrine the Bible teaches, which is that people are rebels. 
you seem surprised at the rebellion of these people. Yeah, but they're Christians. Uh-huh. Have you met any of them? Sometimes they're even worse. And he had to revisit this idea. He was surprised by the rebellion of his employees. So how is he going to use structure and relationship to come together? The second thing, we shouldn't be surprised when both exalting the rules, Hulk smash, more rules, doesn't work. And we should not be surprised when eliminating the rules doesn't work. Parenting out of fear, well, I might crush their spirit if I give them some consequences. No, you're becoming codependent. Oh my goodness, if, I, if you exalt the rules, it brings out more rebellion. If you remove the rules, it brings out rebellion. In fact, they did a study several years ago. It's called the uh, Reuben Hill, Minnesota Report on Parenting. And they actually did a structure of the parents, how much structure or discipline they used on one paradigm and how much relational intimacy they had with their kids on the other paradigm. And the, the parenting mechanism that brought the most confident kids are those who had a high degree of emotional closeness with their kids. They appreciated their kids. They affirmed their kids. They, they listened well to their kids. They got into their kids' hearts. They, they suspended judgment until they'd really listened, emotional closeness. And they had structure and discipline and rules in the family. And that those that balance those two produce kids that were the most confident. Now, do you know what produced the most rebellious kids? Almost always it was fundamental Christian homes that had high degree of structure and discipline, but no degree of emotional closeness. Mom and dad is a place I go to hear the rules, but they don't know me, they don't care about me, they don't know about my life. Another surprise was the fearful parents who had very close emotional closeness. Oh, you're a good person, I love you. Good self-image, good self-image. But we're so fearful of putting structure in the place, it produced the opposite of what they thought. It produced the most insecure kids. Because there wasn't, I don't love you enough to tell you that that's dangerous. That's gonna hurt you. Oh, please don't do that. That's not gonna be good for you. So this fascinating study in the Reuben Hill, Minnesota report really got into why this happens and why we need a mixture of these two things together. And that's why God didn't send a rule book. He sent a person of Jesus to demonstrate what life looks like. And Jesus is always so surprising. The minute you think he's going to bring the hammer down, he extends grace. And the people who are all about the rules, he brings the hammer down on them. He's so surprising in how he blends these two things of grace and truth. Because Jesus knows rules without relationship leads to rebellion, even more of it. My buddy Rich is just, just an amazing guy. He builds relationships with people of all different walks of life and all different uh, faith journeys. One of his buddies has been playing tennis with for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Agnostic, not really interested in spiritual matters, knows that my friend Rich is a Christian, but kind of pushed off that conversation. Until about three or four months ago, he found out he had blood cancer. He'd been hiding it for a while, and Rich had noticed that his tennis game was not quite what it used to be. His stamina was going down. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he gets a call from his buddy. He's in the hospital. He says, I got blood cancer. It's not looking good. And honestly, this is just me calling to say goodbye. Where she's like, what are you talking about? 
And he kind of told him about the whole diagnosis and all that. And he says, Rich, I'll tell you this. I'm still not interested in religion or God. But I've watched you for the last 15 years. And I'll tell you this. I'm not into the whole rule book, organized religion thing. But you are more like Jesus than anyone I've ever met. You know what you believe. You can explain what you believe. But your grace, your kindness, your interest in my life. And Rich says, he goes, well, I'll tell you what. Is that I am so convinced that God brought us into each other's life for, for more than just this that I bet you on Monday I get a text from you that you have not passed away like the doctors have said. I bet you on Monday you text me, say you're still alive, and, and you want to have some of these spiritual conversations we've been putting off. He's like, all right, I'll take that bet because the doctors did not give him even but a few hours. So Monday shows up, and sure enough, Rich gets this text. Ding. Well, you were right. So I guess I'm ready to talk about maybe the things that I put off. But it wasn't like somebody you know, saw some bumper sticker on a car or he saw some big sermon. He saw a person who demonstrated real friendship, real love, real acceptance. And that's what drew his interest into having the conversation. So two needs. Thinking about this is, number one, think about rules. We need them. But we really, second need is we need rules infused with relationship. We need that from our bosses. We need that as an understanding of how God works with us. And we need that as parents. So three things we need to demonstrate, right? Because relationships about demonstrating. Number one, we as parents, we as employers, we as leaders, we demonstrate that we are under the same rules. If you believe these rules are important and there's a principle there and there's wisdom there, you should be under the same rules. Paul says, hey, these principles behind this stuff is good. The law is holy. The commandment is holy, it's just, it's good. That law is spiritual. See, the reason behind the rules is important. So your kids, your employees should hear you say, listen, we talk around here about not talking about somebody behind their back. I think last week I did that. And I think I was despairing in a way I shouldn't have. So I want to say I'm sorry. See, often as a parent we say, no, no, kids obey. There's a verse in the Bible that says kids submit to a parent's. You know, and so it's just more rules, more rules, more rules. Instead of, hey, God says, and we talk as a family about the importance of being kind to each other. And the Bible talks about the importance of listening well to each other. I don't think dad listened very well yesterday when you were trying to talk. I'm under the same principles you are. And we as a family, we as a department are all moving in the same direction. And when we stumble, we find that inner rebel in us, we admit it. We forgive each other, and we keep moving down the path because I, as your leader, I, as your dad, am under the same principle. You know how much more attractive that is? You know how much our fear level goes up when we wonder, like, man, our boss is never going to get it. Our department leader is never going to get it. Our mom and dad aren't ever going to get it. If we're not regularly admitting that we fall short, admitting, confessing, and apologizing... Why would, why would anyone else fall in love with the rule that you keep breaking all the time and you never admit to? Second thing, we need to demonstrate that our motivation for why we do what we do is love. We're not just trying to control people. We're not just trying to, to prove that we're the boss and, and, and need people to look up to us. That our real motivation for this principle, for this rule, for this structure is love. Do your employees, do your kids know that you would die for them, that you would sacrifice for them, that, that you are willing to put their needs ahead of your own needs? 
Because Paul goes on, he says, scarcely for a righteous man would somebody die. Well, listen, I only got one life to live. That's a pretty good guy, but I don't want to lose my life. Yet perhaps, maybe for a good man, someone might dare to die. But the kind of love God has, the kind of love he wants to demonstrate is that God demonstrated, demonstrated, not just a rule book, his love for us in that while we were not good, not righteous, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Which means that when you find an employee, when you find a child who's rebellious, it's in that moment they're going to learn a lot about you. You made mom and dad mad. All right, so the goal of parenting is not to make mom and dad mad. Or are you disciplining at a sense of, listen, you made a mistake. It's wrong. Here's some consequences. But listen, let's, let me show you how to get back on the right path. The love, the unconditional acceptance that's demonstrated in the midst of rule giving and consequences, it what communicates. And what he's saying here is God has this amazing love. When you get around the God of the Bible, and many of us, we have said, I'm fearful of God because God seems to be the, the, the uh, angry at people all the time. Because I'm fearful of God, I think he's probably mad at me. Therefore, I feel I want to keep my distance from God, and therefore, I don't really like organized religion. I wouldn't like that God either. Others of us, we grew up, and the God seems really angry, seems really mad, and so he's always about the rules, and, and therefore I'll, I'll obey just enough of the rules to, to make him feel like I, I'm not in the principal's office, but I'm going to keep my distance from the rule God, the finger-wagging God. But what Paul's saying is the God I want you to see is a very different kind of God than what you thought. He's a God that loves us, dies for us, gives himself for us, even when we break his laws. Now, if you saw the article last month at the Rio Grande in Texas, but there was a group of drug smugglers who were trying to cross the border. And as they were swimming across the water with all kinds of illegal drugs, there was a Marine there who's part of the border uh, patrol, and he saw them beginning to drown. So here's literally the lawbreakers drowning, and here's the law keeper watching. Now, just how do you think about God that way? So God sees you as maybe drowning in your own mistakes. You've got maybe some family members who've done the same stupid thing over and over again. What does the law keeper do when he sees a lawbreaker? Serves you right! <laughs> right? That's one way to think about it. It's not what he did. Instead, this marine dove into the water acknowledging and seeing that they were drug dealers, he actually swam into the water, grabbed one of them, swam to shore, rescued them, dove back in, grabbed another one. He rescued all of them. And just as he got the last one out of the Rio Grande, he got pulled into an undertow and he died. And the story made it all around the news for a variety of political reasons, but the spiritual reason was amazing. Here is the law keeper giving his life for the lawbreakers. See, that kind of love begins to change you, begins to motivate you when you realize I'm an inner rebel, I'm an inner lawbreaker, and God demonstrated his love for us in that he, he died for me, he, he loves me that much? Do the people around us, do they see that we are motivated by love for them, we care for them, we want the best for them? Thirdly, we need to demonstrate that the rules is not the end game. 
We need, grace is our motivation. So sometimes you're going to make mistakes. You're going to find forgiveness and not getting what you deserve. The goal is not compliance to the rules themselves. The goal is the principle behind the rules. And Paul says something like this. He says, for scarcely will the righteous man die, right? But he goes on, God demonstrates his love in that while we're yet sinners, when we didn't keep the law, the goal was not to, to check all the boxes right. It's to acknowledge that we don't check all the boxes right. And we need his help, his forgiveness, his empowerment to do it. Now, this is not easy to do. We did a parenting seminar a few months ago, and so my, my son Javen came in, and we were talking about some of the parenting moments we had. And I'll never forget one moment we had back when he was 17 is uh, I was going through some basic structure. You, know, you had to get this done by this time, or you're going to lose this consequence, and you know, because of that, you're, you, you, know, you can't use this for a while or can't use that for a while, and we're having that conversation. And he's, he turns to me, he's like, you know what? When I get out of here, I want you to know I'm not going to be like Sierra. I'm not going to come back here and hang out with you and want to and be friends with you. I'm going to go live my own life and do my own thing. Now, as a fearful parent, what do you do? Oh my goodness! Well, never mind. Never mind. Never. Mind. No consequences. No consequences. Though no, you know, I, I don't want to feel like you're mad at me, and therefore we're, we're, we're no longer going to have any consequences. It's all good, right? And boy, that barb he sent at me triggered a lot of that, right? However, I had enough moment of time to calm down. I could have powered up, right? The Hulk, Hulk smash me, dad, you son, right? We've all done that too. We choose the red method, right? You know, I'm angry that you disrespected me, understandably so, and therefore I react in anger, and therefore I respond in anger. But I was really trying to get to the principle. I say, hey, buddy, that makes me sad that you'll say that. And I hope that's not the case. Because you've heard dad say many, many times, I want to have a 50-year friendship with you. But I'll tell you this, if you do want to get out on your own, and you do want to do your own thing, you know what you're going to need? Exactly what we're talking about right here. you got to hit deadlines. you got to be able to respond when people say stuff. And it was like, I jiu-jitsued him. Right? Everything got deflated because he was doing emotional um, blackmail on me. And it didn't work. It's just in his face. Like, he thought he had me, and like, oh. So I am help. If that's your vision for your life, I'm preparing you to help you experience that kind of freedom. Oh. And it's been five years since then. Jabe and I have a great relationship. We play volleyball together weekly and go to movies and, and, uh, and hang out and water ski together and wakeboard together. And, but in those moments, I had to think about it differently. Not let the fearful thoughts control what I did, not let the angry thoughts, not let the rule-keeping thoughts. What is that blue mixture of grace and truth, rules and relationship as they come together? See, rules minus relationship leads to rebellion. So we need to really developing a different kind of mindset, a different way of thinking about this. So Paul's going to end this kind of section of Romans by saying, I want you to develop a motivating and a motivated mindset. And look at what he says here. He says, I just thank God because through Jesus, not through rules, not through regulations, not through religion, through Jesus infusing, demonstrating God's love, demonstrating the truth of the principle, through his demonstrating himself, through Jesus Christ, so then with my, look what he says, my mind, I'm able to now serve the law. 
I love the law. What if it's true? What if there is a God who loved you so much he knew the worst you would ever do and he died for you? And that he wants to free you through your thoughts, free you from anxiety and fear, free you from this kind of rule-keeping, I'm in control and I'm in charge and, and, I, and it's all about me, or he needs to free you from your anger. What if God really has a new way of thinking about yourself that when you make mistakes, you don't have to feel failure, you don't have to feel shame, you can say, yes, I made mistakes, but God says, I will take those things and wash them, cleanse them, forgive them. And by doing that, you can think about me Think about life and think about your own relationships differently. Through Jesus Christ, in my mind, these kind of thoughts, I'm able to now serve the principles of the law and serve that God, I trust him, that he loves me. Whatever he's instructing me with is because he wants my best. And now God's way is not hiding freedom from me, but God's way is the path to freedom. God wants you to experience freedom and begins in your thoughts.